Hello, and welcome to Human Is My Label. This is your host, Emily Purry. I am a wife, a mother, a daughter, a sibling, and a former athlete. I work full time. I am the founder of Rapid, a nonprofit organization, and I'm legally blind. I am so excited about opening the conversation about everything equity. We will primarily be talking about disability, as that is my lived experience, and it is often the minority left out of the equity conversation. I am passionate about equity for all identities, as I have family members from the communities of color, LGBTQIA, disabilities, and we span all ages. It is my goal to normalize these conversations, get people comfortable with the uncomfortable, and include everyone. After all, we are all human. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this amazing Monday morning. I have another fabulous guest on today, Lisa Hinesdale. And we got connected through Cody M, I'll say. Shout out to Cody M out there, a former coworker of mine, and I believe a networking uh, buddy of Lisa's. And so that's how we got connected, talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. So welcome, Lisa. Thank you for being here. Hi. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Awesome. So as you know, this podcast is all about everything equity. And so, you know, I take my lived experience as a person with disability, as well as having a a mixed race family, and really talk to guests about their experience in the world of equity and inclusion. And so why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background, um, and, you know, kind of where you're from, where you've been, how you grew up, and then we'll go from there. Okay, awesome. Yeah, so as Emily said, um, I'm Lisa Hinesdale. First and foremost, I'd like to start with this. Um, I'm biracial. I'm half Thai and half white. I'm also a lesbian. Um, I'm originally from Richmond, Virginia. I have lived in Portland, Oregon for about 11 years now. Uh, Moved out here, two suitcases, gave myself a month to find a job. Then after that, it was like, stay here a year. If I stay here a year, go back to school, big goals. Um, so yeah, now here I am, um, working as a diversity, uh, specialist in higher education, um, supporting undergraduate, um, excuse me, supporting underrepresented minority business students. Um, I am very much a diversity and inclusion enthusiast. I have over five years experience working with multicultural communities, addressing topics from sexuality uh, and gender to race and culture. Um, Yeah. Very good. I love it. I love it. Um, So Richmond, Virginia to Portland, that is quite the change. So what was the climate or the environment over there compared to here? What was your upbringing? What did that look like for you? You know, it's, it's hard to explain to um, most Pacific Northwesters or pretty much anybody <laughs> on the West Coast, right, uh, what that's like. Because I know for, you know, for a lot of people, when you say that you're from the South, they, you know, already have all these preconceived notions in your head. Oh, absolutely. Uh, right? And, but it, for me, it was completely different. Um, as, and I, I can go in a little bit more about that. Um, yeah. You know. I would say growing up, yes, in the South, um, is very, it was difficult. Um, 
My mom is an immigrant from Thailand. Mm -hmm. uh, she moved here in the 70s. And my dad is from the baby boomer generation, um, born like 1939. Um, they had 15-year difference um, within uh, their age. So wow. again, like growing up uh, being a uh, mixed race in, in Virginia, it was hard because also at that same time, you know, it was like, of course, you had the Vietnam War and then mm -hmm. the Cold War. So, you know, uh, not very many people were very excited about like, you know, having Asians or I would say Asians living in an all white neighborhood there. Yeah. Uh, yes, there was some, yes, there were lots of like, you know, racist encounters and stuff I did growing up. Um, I mean, that I did experience growing up. Now, I tried to do like a, trying to think of a transition here of like how different it is from Virginia to come in here to Portland, Oregon. Uh -huh. um, what I'd like to say is that, you know, what I did experience though in Virginia was almost kind of almost like very, like the contrast was very different from coming to Portland because at least in Virginia, there was diversity. Uh -huh. um, you know, uh, we like to call it the DMV area, you know, DC, Maryland, Virginia. Oh, okay. So, okay. you know, and then uh, Northern Virginia is, um, it's very much like a melting pot, right? Uh -huh. And so there, you know, it's, uh, you know, of course, being close to DC again, like state capital, um, lots of like uh, immigrants and stuff coming in um, from all different countries. I was going to say from Asia, Africa, um, even like Central America. Uh -huh. um, yeah, now when I'm going back and I'm thinking of Portland, I come here and it's very white. <laughs> you know and, um, shocking shocking <laughs> yeah right um but it's to me it was it was it was difficult for me in that way because i i never had i don't know how to explain it emily um to only see all white people was it, it felt very weird <laughs> to say interesting that. yeah and i and i i kept hearing you know portlanders kind of like pride themselves on how progressive that hey, they are okay. but i was like how can you be progressive if you don't if you don't have diversity uh -huh. what have, like what are your experiences with diversity that make you so progressive you know um, <laughs> so yeah it's, 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 it's all the it's the it's the happy picture that we want to paint that we would be willing to have other races in portland but they're just not here but we're we since we're willing that means we're progressive <laughs> yeah right <laughs> And it's always, you know, which I also found um, really difficult here too, is it, it always seems to be white people telling me how I should be speaking about my own race. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so <laughs> that's another, that's a, that's another um, issue that I constantly come up against. Um, okay. And the same even going with uh, just to, just to drop it in there too, even I struggle with even um, in the queer community as well. Where before oh, okay. in Virginia, I, it was not, um, it wasn't very much like that. Okay. That's what I was going to ask. So the other part of your identity being a lesbian, when did, did you, have you always been out? When did you come out? Was it when you were in Virginia, Portland? Um, so I'm 41. Okay. I came, I have always, I haven't always known that I was gay because I didn't really, when I was growing up, um, the kids would call me gay. <laughs> oh. um, but, you know, um, 
but my, anytime my brother or my sister would call me that, like my parents would be like, don't you call her that? And then I'd be like, well, what does it mean? And like, they wouldn't tell me. It was oh, something, wow. yeah. And it was something that like, as I started to become like a teenager and ask more about it, you know, not really understanding why I was having all these feelings, um, towards the same sex, right. That, yeah. that, all I knew is that it was bad. Like that wasn't something you should talk about. Um, and it was very confusing to me. So, yeah. um, I, I came out, at 21. 21. Um, okay. Yeah. And so, what's been your experience, Virginia versus Portland as a lesbian? So, well, Virginia doesn't really have much, uh, it doesn't have a very large gay, uh, community okay. or gay scene as opposed to here in Portland. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was very, very small, um, very small community, but also I would say more judged on as in class in a way, like what school you go to and what are you, what are you doing more, um, mm -hmm. like in your life as opposed to out here where I, I would feel like I say that the, the queer community, um, out here in Portland seems to be more, uh, cliquish. Okay. And, and very much more, um, uh, kind of like a high school mentality. Oh, okay. And, and I found it, what, to, what I found to be very shocking to me is this, it was something that I thought would just be with like, uh, the younger queers, but it was actually queers of my own age. And I really did not understand that. Mm. Uh, and there, there is like a us versus them kind of mentality, uh, within the, within the queer community to kind of like a, an eat your own, if that, if that makes sense. Oh, wow. Wow. And so that's yeah. all stuff you had to learn coming over to Portland. It was, it's this unspoken kind of cultural thing, if you will. Yeah. I, I, I mean, yeah, I would think so. Um, and I, I know it's, you know, this is, this is my opinion. I don't want to bring any, any of my other friends in either, but I know, or not, I won't say their names, but I know it's been a, a collective experience, um, uh, with other, uh, queers that have moved from out of state to Portland. Oh, so it's different. Okay. So, yeah. wow. Interesting. Very, very isolating. Ugh, that's horrible. It's horrible. Especially since Portland's so well known for having a large LGBTQIA community that it would be seem as if people were inviting people in but then they're kind of excluded or isolated like you're saying yeah it's it's kind of correct me here or if i'm wrong or either if i you know i happen to say something you know, a little incorrect but i think it to me it seems to be a very white leftist kind of like a mentality it's like you get on with our you get on board with our ideals it's almost like this cancer on progressivism right it's like mm. you you get on board with their ideals. If you don't, or if you, you know, like if you're not learning things quick enough, then you're, you're pretty much like kind of cast out of the community. And I, I can say, uh, you know, just from my own personal experience that I've experienced that more in the, in the gay community than I have with like my uh, cis um, straight friends. Oh, interesting. I had an opportunity to be featured in a magazine, um, Butch is Not a Dirty Word, um, where I actually spoke about mental health and my gay identity. And a lot of that was speaking about my upbringing and again, as feeling very isolated and exclus um, ex 
excluded from my own uh, queer community. Mm, that's super cool. Like, and I yeah, mentioned cool. it like for like just like a little snip of just being like I knew that when I had actually done that article that I was going to get a lot of pushback, but I did it because I felt like it needed to be said. Mm. And, and you know, when I I spoke when I first did it, I I spoke and I I shared my story in front of like seventy five people. Mm. I got some like little snaps. It was almost like people were like, yes, like they resonated. And some people were just almost like the shock, right? <laughs> uh, and then they have an Instagram and then they posted it on an Instagram. Um, but really what they posted was just that small snip, like not the whole story. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I got, I can tell you my anxiety like raised to the roof the day that it came out. It was like comments after comments where people were just back and forth, like arguing with each other um, about my story, but then also mm -hmm. people assuming that I was just this like white cis uh, lesbian, you know, um, ah. and, and not really because they didn't, again, they didn't put like, you know, um, you know, they didn't put like where I was from and the, yeah. you know, my race or anything like that. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of trolls attacking. Oh, of um, course, yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're good at that. They're good at that. So switching gears a little bit, what, what do you do for a living? What do you do here? So currently um, I work as a diversity recruitment and retention specialist okay. um, in a higher ed um, institution. Very good. Um, where I work in a program that supports um, underrepresented minority business students, uh, basically giving them advising, mentoring, and support till graduation, making okay. sure that they're career ready um, once they graduate. Okay, and so the, and they want to graduate, but through their whole time of like being a student, we're making sure they get internships and jobs, scholarships, all of those things. Oh, so you're fully wraparound. It's not just you know, one aspect of their, you're looking at the whole, whole deal. The whole deal. Wow. Working, yeah. Working with employers, um, you know, bringing in speakers, doing workshops, um, yeah. all those things. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty cool. Um, you are currently looking for other employment. That's correct. Right. I am. Okay. Very good. And <laughs> what are you, what are you looking for and where, where, what direction do you want to take that? Um, may I say though, I'm, I'm currently looking for uh, new employment because I am a contracted employee. But uh -huh. also, um, I realized that right now I would like to diversify my portfolio and, you know, uh, work in a different sector um, besides higher ed. So really what I'm hoping to do, like my ultimate goal within the next few years is actually to attend graduate school um, at Rutgers University. Uh, for their labor and employee relations with a focus at diversity and inclusion. I really want to do uh, some kind of consultancy um, where I'm consulting with businesses and organizations to create a more equitable environment in the workplace. And that would be like working with all the interviewing and the hiring processes. Yeah, that's, it's intense that the, that aspect of DEI work and, and how do you really get the culture of the organization, the true culture, not just the superficial culture to actually shift and bring in diverse groups of people into the organization. So what led you to the HR direction? So I graduated, <laughs> uh, I graduated uh, from PSU uh, with my degree um, in business supply chain 
pain management and logistics. I, I knew, you know, and what we're taught, and I mean, also learning this, like, as a non-traditional student, student going through uh, university is like, okay, there's your career, and then there's your calling, right? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I knew that I was like, okay, I, I really am, like, fascinated with supply chain. I really want to go into supply chain. And I was also hoping, because it is such a male-dominated field, that I was like, wow, how cool would it be to be working in this field and also, you know, also be like a woman and work in the male-dominated field, also yeah. okay, right? But then really what happened was like after I graduated, I kind um, most of my work experience was in higher education, or not higher education, was in diversity and inclusion. Um, I had worked previously at the Queer Resource Center, also worked at the Women's Resource Center, and then I was also doing work right for the program that I'm doing um, work for now. And I struggled with like trying to use my transferable skills to shift my career ah. uh, from doing the DNI to supply chain. But then also with that, I started kind of really learning about how exclusive hiring processes are. Yeah. And that it started to make me more passionate about like feeling like this is what my calling was, like what I needed to do because I figured if I was like, if I was struggling, you know, especially I like to think of myself as a, um, as a mask of center lesbian, um, then what are other people feeling, right? Like, how are they feeling like, um, other minorities? So basically that's, that's how I started to get uh, more drawn into doing that. And also, again, my mom just being an immigrant from Thailand and watching her apply for jobs and stuff with a, a fourth grade education, right, from a third world country. Yeah. Um, like, it it just, it broke my heart when I would see her, you know, um, get declined uh, again after again. Uh, same with me, and then even same with some of my other students, again, that were also minorities. So, again, it's really what led me to do um, gotcha. this road, yeah. I love it. I love it. Um, so if people are out there hiring, definitely, can they find you on LinkedIn? Yes, they can. Um, okay. Lisa Hinesdale. Okay. Um, I'll make sure and put that link below to your LinkedIn. You mentioned why you're passionate about HR. And so let's flip that. And why, other than your identity, really, um, and you just spoke about your mom, being an immigrant, um, where did your passion come from for diversity, equity, inclusion? I, it began when I was eight years old. Oh, um, wow. My mom took me, um, me and my sister, uh, for a month, which was really funny, um, a month away from our school, our school academic year in third grade uh, to Thailand to go visit our family. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it, I, I don't know, I would put this out there for anybody. And if it's like something that, again, that you, that a family can afford, I felt like, you know, my mom taking me to a third world country um, mm -hmm. and being that young had the hugest impact on me. And it still has a, a huge impact on me. It's like, I can still vividly see the, like, you know, the privilege and classism and just like, when I say privilege to, you know, coming from a first world country to a third world country, like it was so shocking to me as a child. And I, I remember like, you know, begging my mom, like, please, like, let's give, let's give like, you know, the homeless money. Like I kept asking her for money, you know, to, I always wanted to help out and realize, mm -hmm. that, you know, like their schools weren't like our schools. Um, you know, I think even this time I had a speak and spell and how like, 
like that, even just having that little device, like, you know, and seeing kids play with it, just like, you know, it was like the biggest deal to them, like to be able to play with like this, like learning tool where to me, I was just like, oh, this is just something my mom gave me, you know, to help me in school to be better. And I didn't really care anything about it. Right. Wow. Yeah. And I just, I just remember then like, I don't know if it's, you know, that had made me so much more of an empath, but I felt it um, like really hard then. And I, I mean, I still do like very much affected by the world. Wow. And I try to visit, you know, when I take vacations, I try to visit more third world countries more often to be checked again with my privilege and what I have here in the U.S. Um, you know, all of that, like growing up and again in the South with my mom uh, being from Thailand. Um, and us actually being like the first Asians to move into an all, or first, yes, first Asians to move into an all white neighborhood. Um, what that was like, um, you know, also growing up poor and, you know, my mom again, having like a, a fourth grade uh, education, but fourth grade education coming from a third world country is nothing like a fourth grade education. Yeah. Yes, right. Yeah. Um, and seeing again, her struggles on like trying to get a job. Um, and trying to always like trying to move up like in in her career it was always always like next to impossible um <sighs> she worked at a cookie factory for over 20 years which i actually have on my linkedin profile um, oh no way yeah i mean because i i look at it and i even have like a i have a picture of it hanging on my wall because it motivates me um to think of like how hard she actually worked in this cookie factory right like you know, working late shit, like graveyard shifts, like her yeah. shift constantly changed from morning to night and she just went with it. And so, I mean, again, just seeing, um, seeing all of that growing up, like it, it had a very huge impact on me. Um, I'm going to be quite vulnerable here for a moment, yeah. um, but something else that made it really difficult for me too, which also had really pushed me more into DNI work is you know, my dad, uh, being from the baby boomer generation and growing up in the South, yes, he's a, he's a white man. Um, he was very racist. And yeah, he was married uh, to my mom. Yeah, and and he he was so hypocritical in his ways that it just I I just always remember rebelling against him and also like pushing back on like things he would say and being like, how can you be married to my mom and and then still be this way and you know so all of all of these things um again are really what pushed me to be be really passionate about not really they don't push me this is why i'm passionate about diversity and inclusion i don't really necessarily ever share um that thing about my dad as a fear of judgment um mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from people uh I will say though, it has also gifted me um, the ability to be able to meet people where they're at um, with an understanding. So if, you know, if people struggle with, with anything, with, with race, sexuality and all of that, I, I feel like because of my upbringing, it's again, it's like gifted me the ability to meet people where they're at, to try to find like a, a mutual understanding yeah, um, yeah. instead of, you know, exiling people. That's yeah. It's interesting you said that about um, your when you were a child, you know, wanting to always help, wanting always, you know, give people money, the the homeless or the houseless money or food or anything. But my daughter is seven and she has that same heart. And I don't think I did when I was a kid. I didn't 
I don't know that I thought about it. Um, and she <laughs> just the other day had a, one of our friends was over and they were talking and she's like, well, when I'm president, <laughs> <laughs> I know that every person's going to have a home because every person deserves a home. And we've never talked about stuff like that. Like in specific, she always wants to go like if we're at McDonald's or something or a, a, a grocery store, she always wants to buy food for a person if they're out and out in front of the store. Like she has that same like empathetic heart. She's like, everybody should have a home. And it's just really interesting to watch. And then I, I know you, you know, it's interesting to have that history of racism in the family because why didn't we get it? I mean, cause my grandparents, my father and grandfather's from North Carolina and he used to call black people, color people, or colored people. And you know, right. there's a colored person at the door and I, I didn't think anything of it other than I was like, Oh, he's old, whatever. Um, and so it's like, why didn't that rub off on us? Obviously, white supremacy is everywhere. It's just interesting that hate or that racism or that misunderstanding or however we look at it, it's not always passed on. And then you, I've always wondered, like, why not? Like, why don't, why do I think different? And so, um, no, I, I like that you bring it up and thank you for that being vulnerable with that. Because, yeah, it is something that, you know, you feel like people will judge you for for sure yeah and, I mean it's it's hard you know when I I think about it like now right I mean because that's generational trauma mm -hmm. you know and I mean again it's like you know for you talking about your grandfather like you know he learned that from somewhere it comes mm -hmm. from his parents and like you know like his environment and everything that he grew up um he grew up in and I think that sometimes like in today's society that people forget about all of that I think it was so long ago oh yeah it really wasn't that long ago you know and no. when I talk to people about like you know like my parents and most of the time if it's like you know um kids are like more of like the Gen Zers and the Millennials these days I'm like okay your think of all right so my parents would be your grandparents yeah. or your great grandparents right so yeah it's, yeah it's again like thinking about it like that and just the stuff that they've had to go through you know because they also went through war and oppression mm -hmm. um and you know from the 30s and all of that um yeah yeah so yeah it's it's strange yeah i wonder that too i don't i think it's also us maybe you know that shift maybe like learning Ooh. i I knew that, um, you know, it was, it was bad, you know, growing up like teachers, like, don't say that we don't say that. And then also yeah. just kind of being like, I, you know, if my dad treat would treat, uh, people differently, I just never understood that. I was like, why are you, why are you treating this one person like this and this other person like that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, it made no, it made no sense to me. I wish I, I got in a lot of trouble with that because I always argued back, always pushed back. <laughs> So I never, never stood down probably when I was supposed to, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh uh, my goodness. Well, cool. All right. So Lisa, thank you so much for joining me here today. It's been awesome just to talk to you and get to know more about your background and your history from, from a personal perspective versus just on the business end. So thank you. Oh yeah. Thank you. You're, you're welcome. And this was a pleasure. I really appreciate you having me on to be able to share uh, my story. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And uh, we will talk to you all on Monday.
Thank you so much for joining me here today at Human Is My Label. Don't forget to subscribe, share this with your friends, families, and coworkers. Get out there, get comfortable with the uncomfortable, include everyone, and push yourself to be better every day. If you're interested in coaching or corporate training or learning more about RAPID, visit us at rapidorgan.org. That's R-A-P-I-D-O-R-E-G-O-N.org. You can find me at emily.curry on Instagram and all my other social handles are below. Have a great day and can't wait to see you next week.